Hi, everybody, and uh, thanks for joining our weekly podcast. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of The Robin Report, uh, which, by the way, I'd like to point out that it is uh, much more than just a daily report. It's um, really a knowledge platform uh, from which we communicate thought leadership on various strategic topics uh, through our reports, but also these podcasts webinars, and hopefully when this COVID thing gets the heck out of here, we'll be doing live events. So anyway, for, uh, for these podcasts, uh, which are usually a conversation between uh, myself and our chief strategist, uh, Shelly Cohan, who, by the way, is also a professor at FIT and Syracuse University, uh, we decided that from time to time, depending on our topic, uh, we would invite an expert to join us. And Today, we are fortunate, fortunate to have an expert on, on our discussion topic, which is about the uh, buy now, pay later market, BNPL is the acronym. Um, and we have with us uh, the CEO, co-founder, and executive chairman of CESL, Charlie Uakim. And CESL is one of the leading companies offering uh, the BNPL um, uh, solution, uh, which, by the way, I will remind our listeners, if they don't already know, this sector is on fire um, as uh, a new fintech model. But I will also say that the mission uh, of, of CESL is beyond just a fintech payment solution. It's, it's really, in my opinion, a much more visionary mission uh, to financially empower the next generation of change makers. And just to give a little background on Charlie, you, Charlie, you were what would be called a serial technology entrepreneur with nearly 10 years of experience uh, growing fintech companies from uh, inception to uh, large scale success. So, Thanks so much for joining us, and, and please uh, say hello to our listeners, and, and maybe kind of uh, tell us a little bit about what BNPL is um, for those who may not know, and also about your vision of, of CESL. For sure. Thanks for having me, Robin. Thanks for having me, Shelley. Good to see you both. Uh, and hi to the readers or listeners, I should say. Um, a little bit of background on BNPL. Um, first of all, I think it's important to give some background on it because the term has just, it's extrapolated. It's, it's grown and it, I don't think it means what it used to mean. And I think it's become a confusing term in many ways. So I, I want to clarify, when we first started the, our business, our core product, it's paying for, is another way to say it, paying for over six weeks interest-free. And our average order value in our system is $100. So it's like, it's like making an everyday purchase buying an outfit, um, you know, buying some electronics, uh, but nothing major in terms of purchase size. And then making a $25 payment today, two weeks, four weeks, and six weeks, all automated for the customer. So that's, that's buy now, pay later where it started. What it's become, I would say, is installments payments. Like everyone that's doing installments nowadays is calling themselves buy now, pay later. So when you read articles, I would say really dig in to understand what they're talking about because the, the term is, has really grown. 
And so when we started the business, we launched our product August of 2017. And from the moment we launched it, it took off like a rocket, which was really exciting. And when we started to do that, we realized, hey, it's, we need to have a mission around what we're doing to make sure that we have a true North Star. And that's when we created the mission to financially empower the next generation. And we also follow a stakeholder approach to business, which is identify your key stakeholders and make sure you win for all of them. And for us, our key stakeholders are the consumers who are number one, our merchants, our team, our investors, and our community. And that set us down a path of, I think, doing a lot of the right thing in a lot of instances with, the, with our mission and our stakeholder approach that led us down the path of becoming a public benefits corp and the certified B Corp. It led to our being the first in the space to offer credit building to our consumers to help them get to the next stage of, of their financial futures because we have a lot of consumers that are young and just getting started with credit. So that's a little bit about buy now, pay later and you know where it's come and, and a little bit about the company and the, and the background and why we chose the path we did. Well, I'm not going to lie. I'm a big fan of Cezzle uh, and I've been one for many years. And I really appreciate your kind of approach and desire to build a company beyond profits. So I'm so happy you mentioned that you're a certified B Corp because I was going to tell everyone that. It's super impressive. Um, and for those that are not aware of a certified B Corp, it's really a um, designation that a business is meeting a high standards of verified performance, meaning accountability, transparency, high social environmental impact, um, a legal commitment um, by really what Charlie just mentioned, but really looking at corporate governance as a stakeholder approach, which is super important and transparency and performance, uh, which is great. And I will also add regarding certified B Corps that there's less than 4,500 companies across 153 industries in 77 countries that are actually B Corp certified. So it's very difficult oh. to become B Corp certified. But um, today our topic is really about what the heck is going on in the buy now, pay later space with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB, because we don't have enough acronyms in our industry. Um, <laughs> you know, but as these kind of fintech companies grow and continue to take more and more of the market share, the CFPB interests become higher, especially in fintech. More scrutiny, more regulations, and really, you know, it's to benefit, protect the consumer. So as a Robin alluded to in the opener, the whole buy now, pay later market in the U.S. is on fire, and the estimated buy now, pay later lending for 2021 was $39 billion, and that number is supposed to grow to $114 billion by 2024. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it's really exciting. Absolutely. Yeah, incredible. So, you know, you're right, Shelley, with the proliferation of the uh, you know, buy now, pay later market. The government agencies, are, are, you know, like everything else, will start to look at regulations more closely. And, and, and of course, as soon as those announcements uh, came out, shares in, in some of the BNPL publicly traded companies dropped, which is expected because it sounds very ominous um, when you get the government involved. Uh, so we are happy uh, Charlie, that you can help us sort through, um, you know, what is going on and to understand what the CFPB is really trying to achieve here. And, and I will add uh, that this is an important topic for our listeners 
who are retailers and brands that sell direct to consumers, you know, either through e-com or stores, um, BNPL is a significant growth opportunity for retail companies uh, to be able to offer, um, uh, you know, buy now, pay later to their customers as a payment choice. Absolutely. Yeah, so a little bit of background about where we're at with the CFPB. I mean, just it's funny when you guys have made the intro, you know, it's a sector on fire. Also, it's seemingly under fire. <laughs> good point. Very good. Point, yeah, yeah, yeah. At least that's what investors think. Um, yeah. But, you know, a little bit of background. We've been talking to regulators, well, for maybe three years now, I would say, pretty actively in terms of uh, our business model and, and how we do things. And, you know, I think the reason we do that is if you look at the regulator's job, I think of them as like the police officers. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would think of an, an analogy. And an analogy is you've got a police officer in your neighborhood. I think the right thing to do is go out there and introduce yourself. Hey, I'm, I'm in the neighborhood. I live right over there. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're here to help. And that's basically what we did with, with regulators. We did it with, with state regulators. We did, we did it with the CFPB. We went out to meet them to let them know about our, our business model and why we're so pro-consumer or why the business model is so pro-consumer and why we're aligned very strongly with regulators. And I have to say, in almost every situation that we did that, it totally disarmed the regulator. They actually, in some ways, they couldn't believe the business model. Like, how are you making money? Like, how does this work? We had to explain the merchants pay, uh, most of the fees, et cetera. And we've also done, done that with the CFPB a few times. And so I think, you know, if you look at the CFPB, I, you know, this is me putting words in their mouth, but... I think generally they think that this product suite is a good thing for consumers because what they told us is they monitor consumer complaints. And when they see excessive consumer complaints, that's when they really start to dig into a sector. Well, lo and behold, that's what we do. We monitor (laughs) consumer complaints and we see a lot of consumer complaints. We fix them. And so like we're completely aligned in what we're doing with the CFPB and, and, and regulators. And so I think, you know, from our viewpoint is that, they're going to look into the space. They're going to investigate. I think they're going to find that most of the companies in the, in the sector are doing a really good job because I do believe that about our competition. They might try to like create frameworks. And I think that's where I do have some concern because we don't want to hurt the user experience and we don't want to add unnecessary friction to the process. So if we, if we can avoid it, I think we do a really good job with disclosures already. So we don't want to add like too serious of looking of contracts that no one wants to see anyway. So I, I, that'd be like the one concern, but I think for the most part, we don't have a ton of, another thing I should mention is they're also, I think somewhat interested in credit reporting, which as a company we already do and believe in. So I think you're, you're gonna look at disclosures, you're gonna look at credit reporting as something they, they might be looking towards pushing forward in the sector, uh, which is also probably good for a lot of the players in this space anyway. So for the most part, I, I, I don't have very many concerns about the the CFPB looking in the space or other regulators. Mm. You know, yeah, Charlie, that's a great positioning, you know, transparency, uh, you know, that to to be wide open with what you're doing. I love the analogy. (laughs) You go, go right out there and talk to the, talk to the policeman. Um, So, yeah, I, um, of course, I don't know. Government's got, you know, get some kind of a bad rep, so I would be careful about uh, them being so nice and agreeable. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the way I understand it, the investigation was jump-started by 
uh, Democratic senators who believe there may be abusive practices in the industry as a whole. And by the way, I didn't mean to, to get political saying Democratic senators. Uh, I don't I don't know. Yeah. Republicans might have been involved anyway. But that's that's what I understand. You know, I, I think that the, the default action for a lot of these politicians or even just people in general, they think that when a sector is on the rise like that, they, I think there's some people who go to the gut instinct that they're doing something wrong. Yeah. And, you know, what's going on here? Like, you know, what's where's the wool getting pulled over the consumer's eyes? Yeah. And I think that's the beauty. It's not really happening. And, you know, we, I, the, the regulator, the government official reminds me of a merchant we talked to probably three years or four years ago where she had like a, a shoe or retail outfit. And she said, I don't want to offer this to my consumers. I don't want them to overspend beyond their means. And I said, actually, you already are offering that. You're accepting credit cards. That's the product <laughs> that allows consumers to overspend their income. We're actually a product that stops consumers from overspending because if they can't make a payment, they're stopped by our product and they don't have any fees except for a reactivation fee to get back in. So we're the product that you want. You're already accepting the product that you don't want. That's interesting. So I was a bit confused when I was reading about the investigation and the concerns that you know consumers are accumulating all this debt with buy now, pay later because the way I limited to how much they think, but you can't just keep buying the, with the buy now, pay later provider until you pay off what you already purchased. So can you talk about this idea of debt being piled up? Yeah, I think, Shelly, this is where I was talking about the very start of the conversation. I think the term has started to broaden in terms of what it means. As far as I know, everyone that was in the we're, we're not part of the CFPB inquiry, but I think every one of the players named in the inquiry, I think follows the same model, where if you have one failure, you are no longer allowed to purchase again. So you are not allowed to rack up debt. That's, it's completely contrary to the entire systems. And, and I think, you know, if you look at what is added into buy now, pay later, it's, you know, in, installments. So you could have an Amex. I think what they consider pay, uh, buy now, pay later is like, even like Amex, pay it, plan it. So you can buy something for $15,000 and then your Amex card hit a button that says, push this to installments. Well, that's buy now, pay later in some of these definitions. And the reason I can tell you, I, I think that's happening is because I saw the report that had some of these data points and the average order value they mentioned was like $1,500. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not our product. And they're calling it buy now, pay later. So that's where I think a lot of the confusion comes from. And I understand like people look at, they judge the book by the cover. They, you know, give it a quick glance. And so maybe that's where the senator or um, the representative is coming from. They, they, they just saw that report. You know, you're, you're, you're clarifying this very well, Charlie. And, and um, I'm really glad we have you on and we're doing this because uh, uh, I don't know if you've heard some of our previous previous podcasts, but uh, Shelley and I um, usually have unique perspectives on the topics we discuss, but we rarely uh, disagree. However, in our recent podcast in December, uh, titled "Is BNPL a Wolf in Sheep's Clothing?" we we, we had a debate about it and uh, about BNPL being another form of credit 
or net credit. Um, and while BNPL is less, less costly than other forms of traditional credit, uh, the senators actually wrote in the letter that, that uh, the BNPL products have the potential to cause you know, consumer harm. And a lot of articles and surveys have been done and, and that I've, I've read and listened to. And one argument is that um, young consumers who, you know, may be more impulsive, uh, love instant gratification, they might be lured by something they really want, uh, but the total price would normally be beyond their ability to afford. But with the, the perception, and I say perception, uh, that they have time to pay for this without any interest, you know, they go for it. Um, but when they can't make the second, third, or fourth payments, you know, the cold reality of going into debt hits pretty hard. So I guess that must be a part of the, the CFPB's involvement. But you're clarifying a, a lot of that. But, you know, give us a little more color and, and maybe kind of debunk what you, you know, you, you did to, a, to an extent. Yeah, and Robin, a little more detail. Even in our, let's say, the, the true buy now, pay later companies that are offering the short-term product for around $100. I mean, there is truth to these customers. There are situations where a customer might make an installment or two and then stop paying. But the, the damage, the damage is debatable because no one reports except for Sezzle. So you've had no damage to your credit file. And if you don't pay nothing can be done. So the real damage is happening to the companies, not wow. to the consumers. Got it. You know, so I think that's where there's a little bit of a, a yeah. warp look at it too. It's, it's not, it's actually the customer or the companies that are getting damaged by these people racking up debt, not the consumers themselves because they don't have to pay. Got it. Got it. Wow. That's there's really an obligation to pay, but there's no repercussion, I should say. Wow. That's really interesting. The other thing I found interesting is that in a recent survey by Statista, uh, transparency of terms and fees was the number one reason why consumers use buy now, pay later. So 42% of respondents cited clarity of fees and interest rates were the top reason for using buy now, pay later, as compared to 11% saying credit cards you know, their transparency is the reason why they actually use credit cards. The top reasons why people use credit cards is really convenience, the number of merchants who actually offer credit cards. And quite frankly, 69% of the respondents use credit cards because of the rewards feature. So, I mean, honestly, I think buy now, pay later is super clear in terms of you know, terms and you know, what, what the product is offering for consumers where I find credit cards kind of masters of hiding fees and creating confusion with uh, interest charges. You're spot yeah. on, Shelley. Yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting stuff, really. I mean, so what will happen with the BNPL industry if, um, you know, the government goes through with heavy regulations? Um, how will, you know, Charlie, how will you guys deal with this issue? And maybe you can comment on the impact uh, of the industry and, and then how, of course, CESA would be specifically impacted. Yeah, so I think there, I really do think there are two potential outcomes. 
One is that there's uh, like some sort of disclosure statement at the checkout. And I just hope it doesn't make the user experience clunky. Like that's, that's my main concern because mm. Shelly, you, you nailed it. We actually, on our confirmation screen, it's crystal clear. You pay $25 today and then we show you the dates with, with you know, four buttons with a timeline. $25 here, there, and, and the next date. And it's just simple, crystal clear. We're drawing it from this credit, this card, this debit card, this ACH account. Click here to confirm. So I, I think that is what the, the truth in lending disclosure they're looking for, like that sort of interface. So I hope that we can keep it that appealing and attractive and you know clean. Um, so that might be one potential outcome, some sort of like more traditional TILA where it's like a form that comes up that's uh, you know white boxes. Um, so I think that might happen. The other one I think that might happen is companies are forced to report, but we already do it for a portion of our customers. I think it is a little bit unfortunate if it's required, because I think the right way to get a customer into a credit product, especially their first credit product, is let them walk in training wheels with buy now, pay later. If they mess up, they get a couple of get out of jail free cards with no reporting. Now that they start to understand credit, they decide to join Sezzle Up or you know, an analogous credit reporting step up within a competitor's product. And now they're building their credit score up now that they understand how to use it. And then that gives them access to other products, which are a little bit more dangerous to use, like a credit card or an auto loan, et cetera, because now they've got their experience underneath their feet of how to manage credit. And I, I think that's a really important flow. I love the way we have it in our system, of course. It's our own site. So <laughs> I'm biased. I love it. Um, but I think a lot of young pe people don't get training at home about how to use financial inst instruments. And so I think in some ways we can be that step for these consumers. And I think that flow is a really nice one. So getting them right into credit reporting might get them dinged too early, I think. Yeah, it's interesting, Charlie. And you got to give yourself credit because, you know, you set the model up on purpose for those reasons. You know, so it, it makes sense to kind of ease into it. The other thing I just want to mention is that, you know, sezzle has been very, very proactive with regulators. You talked about that earlier in the podcast. And I remember you telling me uh, when I interviewed you like two years ago, um, how you worked with California as an example, the California regulators when Sezzle went to expand in California. Can you tell our listeners how and what your role is in working with regulators? And does it have to be a combative relationship? Not at all. Actually, when we founded the company, I don't know if I told you this one, Shelly, but when we founded the company, I actually made two calls to regulators. So we were, we, were, we were thinking about pivoting, I should say, into this model. I called the state of Minnesota's regulator for lending, and then I called the CFPB. And they can't give you recommendations necessarily. I think the Minnesota regulator may, may have gone above and <laughs> given me some recommendations, but you know, we were talking about the model. And I remember he said, you know, what if you, we're thinking about different models out there, like a firm's model, um, Klarna, different lending models. And I said, you know, I, I mentioned a different model, which is our current model. And he said, you know, what if you just had the merchant pay all the fees, then you wouldn't have to worry about registering with, with us. And so that's like, I had the aha, aha moment. That's one of our choices here. One of the regulators is telling me to head down that path. I think we should maybe head down that path. And then the CFPB, um, we didn't get any like recommendations, but they told us, you know, like it sounds like a very friendly model, which is the kind of thing that we care about. And then we, you know, California was the spark for us because we got a little bit in trouble. We had in trouble with California when we launched there. Um, and we were the first of many that got in trouble with California. 
And so that really taught us we need to be more proactive with this going forward. That, that was really the spark. We need to be proactive so we don't have them have the police officer come our way without talking first. Yeah. That's a super, a super way to, uh, to go forward with this. Um, so um, can you share with us a little more information about how many uh, default, default payments exist? Uh, either, you know, kind of an industry number or uh, what SESO experiences and what percent of revenue or gross merchandise value is subject to late penalty fees? In other words, Another myth, I believe, is that BNPL receives a large portion of the revenue from late fees. And, and lastly, what is the role of the credit bureaus with uh, BNPL companies? Yeah, good, good questions. So on the fees side, we're like 80 to 85% merchant fees. So the remainder being user fees. Okay. And some of them are like the reactivation fees, some people would call it a failure fee, but we call it reactivation because you only have to pay it if you want to use this again. So that, that's our, our user fee. Um, and then the percentage, we only have around 3% principal loss rate wow. with our product, which always surprises people. Like yeah, consumers do keep up with our product. And I think it's, and I watch our reviews like a hawk, the consumer reviews. And I never, our, our typical failure fee or reactivation fee is $10 to get back into the program. I almost never see a complaint about that $10 fee. And I think the reason is, I think consumers view our products as a budgeting tool slash credit tool. And I think they like, or they appreciate, I don't know if they like, but I think they appreciate the fact that we stop them from getting overextended. And they're okay with taking on a fee here and there because they view it as a service. Hey, they stopped me from getting too far. I'll cool off, I'll cool the jets. And then once I catch up, I'll come back in and I'll use it again. And so that's, you know, I, I think that's our, that's our mix and how it works. And then for the bureaus, we're already working with the bureaus. So we've got all three bureaus with our Sezzle Up product that we're reporting to. I, I know they wanna get beyond that. And I'm a fan actually. If we can get beyond that with our, you know, we report our sizzle up like a credit line, almost like a credit card. But if there's a different type of way they want us to report and we can get everyone involved in reporting, I think in some ways it's going to skip that first step where you get out, get out of jail free potentially, but um, it will help our industry because it'll, it'll prevent bad actors for running all through all the companies like a buzzsaw and taking us all for a ride. Yeah, right. So it's almost like, anti-consumer in that regard, but it's anti-bad consumers, the ones that are just trying to be bad actors. Yeah, I, th I don't know. I guess I've gotten cynical in my old age. <laughs> I, uh, I guess I underestimate the consumer. Um, I don't underestimate them, you know, in terms of all the power they have. I mean, they run the entire economy. So, but, um, uh, but the way you guys are operating this thing, I th the way you are operating this model, I think is, is uh, very exceptional. So, um, Charlie, we, we, we have to draw the discussion to the end, kind of, and I just want to thank you uh, very much for your really insightful clarification uh, of this big issue. 
Um, and I don't think it has really been put out there the way you have today, you know, regarding the issues around the, you know, what is the hottest new fintech solution um, and the government stepping into the middle of it uh, ostensibly to protect consumers. But I think that what you've laid out here today and the transparency that you are, you know, working with uh, the government in all aspects of this proactively uh, is, is, is brilliant. So I just want to thank you again very much, Charlie. And I'm sure that our listeners have learned, learned an awful lot about this new solution. Well, thank you very much for having, on, having me on. I really appreciate it. And good chat with you, Robin. Good chat with you, Shelly. Charlie, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. You have such a great take on the industry and specifically on fintech. So it's a pleasure. Um, for our listeners, you can find more of our podcasts on Apple, Buzzsprout, um, Spotify, and therobinreport.com. And please, please follow us on social media, link in with us, and follow us on Twitter for the latest thoughts about the industry. And I will tell you that um, I urge you to go to therobinreport.com for more uh, provocative insights. And um, I thank you again for uh, tuning in. And um, I also want to let you know that if any of you have some topics that you would like Shelly and I to cover, please email me at uh, robin at uh, therobinreport.com. And thanks so much again.